Hi, I'm Lisa. And I'm Ray. And you're listening to This Midlife Hustle. In this episode, we're going to be talking about our hustle history. That's right. We're going to tell the story of how we went from bankruptcy to business owners. Yep. Do you want to get started on uh, the bankruptcy part of that? Um, You can. All right. Well, <laughs> we were, let's see, we were young, young. in college. Um, I went back to college. I guess we'll skip the uninteresting parts of the story, but going back to college, you were working uh, me through college, basically, uh, for the most part. Yeah. And I eventually got an internship. So, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, but we spent like we did. We put, you know, furniture and various things on credit cards and lived way beyond our means, wouldn't you say? Yeah, we did. We we spent more than we should have. We should have been saving. Planning. Planning. (laughs) Right. We did all the things you're not supposed to do. We didn't really save much in our 401k, spent more than we had, bought, you know, cars and furniture and lived in in apartments that we couldn't really afford. Right. And uh, we paid for that eventually. It caught up to us. Uh, I hope to think we learned something from it, Uh, but we did end up going bankruptcy at one point in those early days. Then I guess fast forward from that, um, I learned my my lessons, but then we had a couple strange turns of life. Uh, My career was going well. I had several high paying jobs. Uh, Nortel is where I started my career, but then Oracle and Fujitsu. We bought a new house in the uh, upstate New York York area after having a house in Virginia and we relocated for family reasons. And then right after we relocated and bought that new house, uh, Fujitsu laid me off. Yeah. (laughs) And that big cushy job that I had in the middle of nowhere being paid a like California salary in the middle of upstate New York went away. And at the same time, if you remember, an oil crisis hit us and all of a sudden like a a, like our to fill up our heating fuel went from like, I don't know, 500 bucks every three months to like two thousand dollars every three months. Yeah. Ridiculous. It was hard. It was it was a hard time um, between you losing your job, me being a stay at home mom um, and not knowing what was coming and uh, trying to find you trying to find another job. Yeah. And I was used to high paying tech jobs, so I didn't really want to settle for just a simple old, you know, website admin kind of job at the time that were popular. I distinctly remember in the dead of winter needing to go down to Hess gas station to fill up some five gallon yeah. uh, kerosene buckets just to put some heat in the tank so that we can have some heat through the night. Yeah. Uh, those are some tough times. Yeah. So out of that uh, necessity was born. Yeah. We, I didn't have a job and was still looking and you were used to being a stay at home mom and we had three kids to raise. Yeah. So sports, they were in sports and yeah. we were trying to keep everything normal for them. Yep. So that way they wouldn't know what was going on. So I, I don't remember who had the idea to do the daycare. Was that you or me? That was me. Yeah. That so was me. it was like the mentality was, well, I'm home watching kids anyways. I might as might well, as well get paid. I think actually one, you were working at the school maybe, right? Yeah. Our youngest was three going to preschool. So those days that she was in preschool, I worked as, as a teacher's aide in the school district. Right. And I think there was, you knew of some people who needed somebody to watch kids. Before and after care. So yeah. So we started like a before and after care. Um, Yeah. So there was not enough good daycare. Uh, in our area. Right. So we saw an opportunity. Yeah. And you decided to start watching kids. You kind of left that job because it wasn't paying much anyways. Yeah. Uh, you were just a, a, an, an aide, I think. Yeah. Um, And then you started making, it wasn't much at first, but you turned that into, a. we opened up what's uh, what was known as Mother Hen's Daycare uh, back in the day. We grew that from 
just at first watching a couple kids to watching more than a few kids and then becoming a state registered daycare facility out of our home. Yeah. And then we got so popular now we actually had a waiting list. Right. Uh, that we went to group. We went wow. to, we, right. We became a group daycare yeah. uh, watching over 10 children. Um, and that was kind of interesting, I guess, as uh, in the context of this podcast, we learned some good lessons from yeah. that first business. We learned uh, how to run a business at all. Yeah. You know, simple things like filing taxes, taxes. dealing with state procedures. Um, Billing, filing, charging the people. We had, remember, bounce checks. Yeah, collecting was, payments. Collecting payments. That's right. And advertising, how yeah. to advertise and get our word out. Yeah. We had a custom logo design for us at the time. Yeah. I set up a custom website. Yeah. Uh, so that was all part of advertising and marketing. Yeah, um, the word got out there pretty fast. I mean, it, it was pretty incredible how we grew. Yeah, and I think... Uh, with I, something we, that was just supposed to be like a a temporary get over the hump until you found something that ended up being... Right. Something pretty big. Yeah, and, and I, I don't remember. I'd have to open up the books from back then, but I remember you telling me like, I mean, infants used to get somewhere around $200 a week. Most kids got around 150 a week. I think, let's just say you averaged at least 150 a week. You had 10 kids at one point. Yeah. That's when we went to group. Yeah. So that was $1,500 a week. Yeah. So that was $6,000 a month you were pulling in. Yeah. I mean, minus expenses. Yeah. There were some expenses. But think about that for a minute. We, in, now that we're thinking about it and doing this podcast, Back then, we were just so nervous and scared and keeping our life as normal as possible that I can't believe I was bringing in that much because it just it came in and went straight back out. That's right. We it, needed it, every every penny of that went penny. to a bill of one sort or another. Yeah. I mean, you know, fuel for the oil tank was two thousand yeah. dollars every refill alone. Yeah. So um, and then food and, and expenses and such. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So that was a lot. Now. Uh, just to get off the topic, uh, just to get out like a little bloop, detour here. My sister asked me if she should do it because daycare now is extremely expensive. Um, I would imagine. I, I would with probably. Inflation. Yeah, I would. We, if we were there and still doing it, it would probably be quadruple what we were bringing in. Wow. Because she said just for a part time two days a week is two thousand dollars. Oh, a month. for. Man. I believe her niece was quoted for five hours, two days a week, was 2000 a month. Well, I guess uh, not to get stuck on the daycare topic for too long, but one of the things that, that one of the reasons why you stood out from the competition was because you literally did treat those kids like you, they oh, were your like own. Oh, like they were my own. And they didn't want to go home. And you had a great reputation. Yeah. I mean, we saw some daycare providers that would game the state, state yeah, system, like no. tell them they were giving kids meal and they would just give them some pretzels or something. Yeah. And they would only give them sandwiches when the state came for inspection. Yeah. Uh, they would like jam them all in, a, in an area that was unclean and un, unhealthy. Yeah. And uh, Yeah, yeah no, those kids got home-cooked meals like every yeah. wednesday we had pasta spaghetti day those kids had pasta spaghetti day on wednesdays <laughs> right. they really did. um they had whatever that my our kids had for breakfast they had for breakfast so there was right. no like you know if i made waffles it was homemade waffles i mean it was it was very different that's why it was we got pretty popular pretty so fast. i guess we just discovered another lesson there too it's like uh establishing a brand and a reputation how yeah. important that is you know you did you did it kind of I would say almost accidentally just because that's your nature to be yeah. that type of person. But, uh, but we did learn that that was one of our competitive aspects. Yeah. And, and I think we got, we sat down um, to backtrack just a little bit. I remember the day that we sat down and talked about what can we do? Because at the time 
Um, I didn't finish. I had to finish my schooling and stuff like that. And, you know, I didn't technically have any, you know, um, like education, education, um, college or, or a trade at the time. And, and, uh, we, we just brainstormed like crazy at the kitchen table. Yeah, but it was great. I mean, we had an awesome logo and everything. Yeah. Um, so, so from there, we, we learned a lot of lessons, but yeah. then there was, there came a day that uh, I eventually did get another job. I, I started becoming a government contractor and I was able to work myself back up to a decent pay. Not at first, not working for the government, but the jobs yeah. that came after that. Yeah. <laughs> I loved working for the government, but the pay was horrible. So I, I went to uh, 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 contracting and, uh, and there I was, it was a more stable job. And we looked at it and said, you know, uh, you basically carried me through, carried our family through once again. Yeah. Now it's time for me to carry you through again. What do you want to do? Um, oh, and I forgot you went, you trained for the police academy for a short period of time. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I trained for, I, I, wow. Yeah. I wanted to be a nurse cop or a hairstylist. Right. Those were my three. That's what I wanted to be. That's what I was passionate about. As a quick yeah. aside, why did you decide uh, against uh, uh, the police academy? I took the test once and I missed it by like, I think it was like two, three questions. Uh, the memorization. The, type yeah, of test? yeah. And uh, the, at the time I just, I just figured, let me try something else. And I actually went to college for nursing. Um, and if you guys don't know, my first language is Portuguese and English is my second. So um, reading and, and pronouncing words is very difficult for me sometimes. Yeah. So I, I don't think you've made up any words on this podcast on this podcast yeah. yet but she will you'll hear some made-up words definitely for sure yeah for sure or stumbling or <laughs> um but uh so i did the nursing thing too and again i i tried it once i i didn't commit fully like i did hair and right. hair i just committed fully right so so you went back to school um yeah. talk about a, a side hustle like you went to school nights and weekends in syracuse which for us was about an hour, hour. drive each way and uh, from where we lived in, in central New York. Um, still doing daycare. Yeah, still doing daycare. And you did that grind for, I think. A year? I think it was almost two years because you had the one. Part time, uh, yeah. The the um the one, I won't mention their name, uh, cosmetology school. that I think they went yeah. out of business because yeah. they were so horrible and you just didn't realize it at first. Yeah. And then went to uh, Continental for the, the remaining part of it and had an awesome experience there. So. So then let's talk about that transition into hair. Um, but before we do that, if you're hanging in with us so far, you probably like what you're hearing or you're just kind of hanging out with us. Please, please hit the like button, subscribe to our podcast. It helps the numbers. It helps the algorithms. It helps support us so that we can keep doing this and know that somebody's out there listening to us and appreciates yeah. it. Yep. So that transition into hair. Um, there's an interesting kind of side here that is related to our to our hustle history. Towards the end of that transition into hair, you were getting really frustrated, like you needed some stress relief. And I'd heard yeah, a yeah. roller derby advertisement on the radio. Yeah. Um, and I said, you know, you need to do that. Just go do that. It's yeah. good exercise. I good you stress too. relief. Yeah. I fought you because I was like, I was looking at my schedule and I'm like, how and where uh, was I going to have the time? Yeah. And so you, you told me just just go to the one night. Just go to the one night. And I came home and that was it. If I could do that professionally and get paid big time, I, that's another one that I would totally drop hair <laughs> right. for. Yeah, uh, risky because people get injured more yeah. than they should. I think, but uh, yeah. but yeah. So so at that point in that transition phase, you were you were wrapping up your graduate studies course, uh, like practice and studies at at 
in Syracuse at Continental. Mm -hmm. You were doing roller derby some nights and weekends. Yep. And you were still watching kids on the side. During the day. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Here and there as well. Yeah. So those were some crazy times. But we got through it. Um, We got through it. And then you eventually transitioned into working a couple places, JCPenney and some other places, just to kind of get your bearings. Yeah. To find um, the niche, to find the group of people I wanted to work with. Yeah, but eventually realized like everybody else is always looking to kind of take advantage of you in that industry, which is I think still true to a to some degree. And then you you be, you became independent, which basically meant you were again running a a small business. It small was like business. a mini business. Yeah, you had to keep track of all your expenses and yeah. and costs. I also think having the daycare as our first business kind of showed me that even though. We were, it was a time thing. Kids got dropped off at six. Kids got, got uh, picked up at five. Um, it was my own business though. So if I wanted a week off, I would just be like, guys, I'm shutting down for this week. Where in, if you work for corporate, oh my, you can't, you can't do that. You know, there's shifts to cover. I did try the whole management route. Uh, that worked for a little bit, but. Oh, you're I'm... skipping too far ahead now. But <laughs> as far as the scheduling, you're saying that one of the things that you missed from running your own business and being that independent was that you had complete control of your schedule. Uh, complete control. And your product line and your quality yeah. and your reputation. Yeah. You had complete control over all that. When you work for somebody else, yeah. you lose you, control of all that. You lose control of, of all of that. Plus, me working, at that point, you had a job. So our kids always came first. So whatever... You know, you always told me I can do whatever I wanted as long as the kids came first, because that was my main job was our kids. Um, even though you helped with sports, drop off, pick up uh, trainings with them and stuff like that. If one of them got sick, it would have to be whatever, wherever I worked, they had to understand that I had to leave to go pick them up from school because you could not. Right. So but basically what you're saying is that it was inevitable that you'd end up being independent because <laughs> I had to. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing else fit our lifestyle, yeah. really. Yeah. I mean, I suppose you could have, but uh, it would have meant it would. If I was in the middle sacrifice. of a highlight, I couldn't just get up and go. So, yeah. and uh, thank God that when the kids needed me, you were home at the, at that time. So yeah, I basically shared part of that yeah. responsibility. You'd but, get home with the kids, and dinner would be my, done, and I'm out the door. Yep, and yeah. I, I would watch them. Yeah, yeah. So the interesting, the reason we brought up the roller derby there is because kind of out of a, um, I guess, altruistic perspective at first, just wanting to help. When you got involved with roller derby, I realized uh, they were having trouble sourcing merchandise. Yeah. And so they couldn't sell things to make profit at bouts and stuff because not that they were, they could have, but the profit margin would have been so small. So just, I started learning about how to print custom t-shirts, do, you know, vinyl printing, dye sublimation, printing on mugs and other various things. And then I ended up in, and even buttons eventually. Yeah. Bought all the equipment to do that. And it was a nice side hustle, but. I think uh, I wanted to bring that up because I really, that's an example of something I really enjoyed. There was an aspect that I really enjoyed doing it, but it never really made me any money. I barely paid for the equipment I bought the equipment, most of yeah. the time. And some of the equipment was like consumable, like because I wasn't doing it at a professional scale, I was doing these little hand hack jobbies where I was like taking a printer and converting it for dye sublimation. And it would last only so long uh, if I, if I had complications with the, with a certain print run. It was all on me. I was like eating through ink, burning print heads, mm-hmm. and eventually just, you know, just had to replace it. And none of the money I ever made, I never made any money, basically. All, all the money I made went into replacing equipment and such. Yeah. So that was an important lesson learned, though, from the perspective of the, I think I learned an important lesson about the difference between a hobby and a business. 
because I don't know that I was officially trying to make it a business at the time, but I've many times thought about it. As you saw through the years, I guess I won't keep on bringing up those dotted instances. You were, you, you were at several Derby organizations when we relocated in Maryland as well. And I did the same there. And during COVID, I did some prints. I did make some money off of buttons during COVID. But uh, event, uh, you know, really not that much. I mean, I actually made three thousand dollars off of buttons. In I was COVID, gonna say but, you did, you did. Oh no, five thousand total. You did yeah. pretty good, and it was a very short window. Yeah, yeah. But the the thing is, is that the number of hours I had put into it, I was basically working for minimum wage. Mm-hmm. So, like, I here I as a professional, I'm making. You know, I won't say the the number, but I make good money as a as a working yeah. software engineer and manager now. And here I was like printing buttons for minimum wage. Yeah. Like, what am I doing? Why yeah. was I doing that? You know? Well, that, I mean, you enjoyed that because you're uh, creative yeah. side. Yeah. You know, that's your kind of relief. So that's the one thing I take out of it. I did enjoy it. So therefore it wasn't a waste. Yeah. But was it a business? Should I have thought of it as a business? No, I should have thought of it as a hobby that was making a little money on the side. Yeah. Right. Because it wasn't really making me money. And so that's framed uh, when I try to think about other business opportunities in the future. I try. I remember that. That there are hobbies and there are businesses. If I'm going to really make a run at making this a business, I need to look at all the the costs, the you know supplies, uh, my own time spent, and how much money is there an opportunity to be made there? Because yeah. and how sustainable is that? Because that's what a business does. You make yeah. sure that you're actually going to be profitable in the long term. Yeah, you know, I did learn some other things from that experience, though. Uh, sourcing supplies, like trying to figure out who to get all these blanks from to do all the work. Yeah. Um, and, and the quality of those supplies, how to price items properly. I had these yeah. spreadsheets about I was trying to be, especially for the roller derby organization, I was trying to be as bare bones as I could be so I can be honest yeah. with like, all right, look, here's how much my time is worth. Here's how much the supplies cost. And I was trying to calculate it to like the penny degree because I didn't want to feel sometimes like I was you, cheating you, them. Yeah. And sometimes you did that as, you know, you went bare, bare bones yeah. because Again, they didn't up, have any money. I was going to say upstate New York, <laughs> you know, people live paycheck to paycheck a lot uh, yeah. in upstate, upstate New so York. So I look at that as kind of like I was essentially volunteering my time as best yeah. I could, making sure that my costs were going to be covered. Yeah. Uh, I also learned a lot about graphics design, though. So, you know, coming from our first experience with Mother Hen's Daycare, I literally had to pay somebody to do almost all the graphics design work. Yeah. And by the time we you were... didn't do that. No, that was we hired a guy out of Canada to do that that logo. Remember, huh. he was okay. a cartoonist, a budding cartoonist. We caught him before he he was on his rise. I thought you did all our logos except um, one of the ones we'll be. No, well, we came up with the concept, sketched something, and, and he, he made it look made professional. It professional. Yeah. So, anyways, but I have like since I've my my graphics design, I have always been artistic, and my graphics design skills have gone up a huge notch yeah. since then. So, um, so I did take that away from it as well, and that's that's kind of rolled over into into in experiences that are useful for business now, especially when it comes to marketing and advertising and being able to put yeah. something together that's appealing. Um, whether it's, you know, actually the thumbnails for this podcast aren't probably going to be particularly interesting, but for some of the other stuff uh, I do, uh, maybe we'll come up with some, some merch ideas uh, associated with the podcast yeah, at yeah, some, some yeah, point. Yeah. <laughs> Wear some sweatshirts, t-shirts, yeah. hats, mugs. <laughs> mugs. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, Let's see, a uh, uh, transition from there. What we did next, we we had ended up relocating again due to my job. I had become a government contractor and I felt like my relocation uh, or my, my, my job was going to be at risk. So we, were, we ended up in, in Maryland. Yeah. We actually bounced around a couple of times. I'll skip that part yeah. for the most part, but yeah. we bounced around a couple of times. Yeah. 
But we ended up back in Maryland. So we basically lived in Maryland and New York. Maryland, Pretty much. A li- New York. Uh, Virginia, a little bit of time. Yeah. And Rochester when we were going yeah. to school. But uh, Those were short-lived. And now we live in Florida. Permanently. <laughs> Permanently. <laughs> yeah, this is our final home, our yeah. final destination. So, uh, yeah, but in those times, you lived. we lived in Maryland. And you had a good uh, business going with your clientele uh, at the salon you were in. Yeah. And the... And owners were having trouble, like business trouble. I think, were there two or three owners? I forget. Two. Two owners. So they were having trouble. We won't get into those details. Uh, not appropriate. But like, basically, we were thinking about buying their salon. Yeah. But having all this experience that we had, we looked at their their business, basically their, their the whole situation, what they were asking for it. And I was like, wait a minute, for this price, like, they're, they're not doing things to your quality. Like, you were renting a space from them, which was yeah. fine. But if you were going to do things to your level of quality and the way we would do things to know that we would get our investment back, it just wasn't the right place to do it. And the lease terms they had were horrible. Terrible. And the business they had built was horrible. The space was not was was horrible. Horrible. And they wanted money. They wanted actually money from us. Right. But I ended up there because the people were. They were really nice. Really nice people. And it was it was a percentage versus. um I paid them rent in the beginning. So I got to build myself first. So that's why I chose that salon in particular. But yeah, it was. Um, and, and they were wonderful people. Yeah. Wonderful stylists, wonderful, wonderful people. But I just think the business, the business part, part got yeah. away from them. Yeah. And so when we looked at the deal, like they were hopeful that we were going to kind of bail them out, uh, which I would have done if the business made sense. But when we looked at it, the business didn't just make sense. So we stepped away from that and started looking for what other opportunities are out there. Like if I'm going to yeah. pay that much money, I can basically build my own salon. Right. right. So we ended up finding a, a space, kind of got lucky on a, a good lease term and all that mm-hmm. and um, did a complete build out. So we, we ended up learning a lot of lessons from that experience, but we built yeah. a whole salon from the ground up. I mean, it was a leased space, but we got yeah. experience with leasing a space, doing a, the, the, the legal Aspects of, lease, of leasing a space and dealing with another entity like that. The build out construction phase mm-hmm. and all the costs with, associated with that. Well, some you can control, some you can't. Learned a lot of lessons about that. A lot of lessons about marketing. Marketing. Employ- yeah, but be- employees. But before that, we had to sit there and pretty much come up with our own custom ideas, our vision for the place, which we've really technically never done. We've always... The only other one we've done was uh, Mother Hen's Daycare, which, you know, we took two rooms of our house and, and de- you know, customized it for the kids. So this was our next. Right. And there were some legal things we needed to deal with that as, insofar as dealing with the state yeah. and learning how to do that. And we did that. From, that experience conveyed here as well. Yeah. Because we had to go through all the state regulations to make sure if any point in time we, uh, an inspector came in, we knew yeah. what all. And that's not just about like. You don't look at that. I, the way I always looked at it is I'd rather do things above board so I don't have to worry so I can sleep at night. I don't have to worry about getting yeah. fined or anything. I just want to know the right way to, that I'm expected to do things by state standards. And and yeah, some of these state standards can be a little bureaucratic and all that, but they're really there with the intention of public safety. Mm-hmm. So they're good rules. They're, they're good things you know, to do. Yeah. Like if I, I want to remember, actually, I remember being annoyed that you got fined by it because of the way it was, but it was like uh, when the daycare it was like, if you wash your hands, in the same sink like this was what it was so we our changing station had to be next to a water sauce source but we we when we're done changing the baby 
we had to immediately wash our hands, but we couldn't pick up the baby until we washed our hands. Right, right. And so, therefore, I you got can't leave the baby for unattended. It. Though I mean, you can't leave a, a so baby it's, unattended. It's a little crazy. It was, it, yeah, and then in the little... salon world, like you have to keep the hair bin covered because they're yeah. worried about like stray hairs or something. Like, all right, fine. The but, trash, the towel bins, yeah. all have to have covers. Yeah. Even the bathroom has to have a cover on it uh, right. for sanitary reasons. Which again, I didn't know because the salon that I was renting from, they did nothing. Yeah. So, you but know. coming back on point here, that that what I guess the point we we're trying to illustrate there is that how these different experiences conveyed to the next, like everything built upon each other, that experience we had all the way back from when we first got started. Yeah. Right. And just trying to scramble and figure things out and work. It was a necessary. Yeah. Ne- it was a need. And, and getting fined money. once for some stupid thing meant that next time you were running your own business and knew that there was a state agency involved, you were going to make damn sure you followed yeah. every policy to the T. Yeah. So a lot of lessons learned there about dealing with the state agencies yeah. and regulations and stuff. Yeah. We also, I, I don't know if there's any other parts you want to pick apart from that. We all, I mean, COVID-19, I feel like nobody could have prepared for that, but having gone through it taught us a lot. I, I feel it, like it did teach us a lot. Yeah, it taught us a lot. Within. But let's, let's save COVID-19 for a second. Just understanding what it was like to go through a leasing negotiation, right? The legal that was aspect. stressful. Right. And I was still working, so a lot of this you did on your own, and then trying to help you navigate what I needed with this, with that, was really difficult, I feel like. Well, and also the consequences. Like, I think there comes a point in some of these business negotiations, and I think this happens in uh, every business negotiation, you realize the gravity of what you're about to commit to and sign up for. You better make damn sure that you've got all your, you know, T's crossed and I's dotted before you get to that point so that that doesn't feel like you're taking a gamble. I think actually this is a big lesson learned for me. Some oftentimes I would literally think of it more of like a gamble, like, all right, I'm ready to, I'm ready to roll the dice. Let's go. It should not be that. It should be, you've analyzed all the variables. You understand there's, there will be a a calculated risk for sure of anything you do. Yeah. But if it's a good business deal, odds are in your favor, right? Yeah. Just like a casino tries to make sure that the, the, the house odds yeah. are in their favor. But no, some they of those meetings, if you recall, I said, no, that's it. I'm not signing. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. And and I feel like I pushed you sometimes. And yeah. maybe, and I actually, just to be full disclosure, I th- feel like maybe we shouldn't have in some days, you know? Some days I feel like we shouldn't <laughs> have. Absolutely. No, you you ran a, you, we ran a good business there um, and uh, and built an amazing salon and amazing atmosphere. I'm very proud of what we did yeah. there. But ultimately, the Our biggest, clients love it. the biggest problem we have came down to employees. Employees. Right. We learned a lot about managing employees, I think. Not, ma- Yeah. Well, all the aspects of, it, of dealing with employees, with let's employees. say. Yeah, they, yeah. It was. They, Even you had some good ones that went sideways, right? Yeah. We had a lot of bad ones that we thought like, were you good know, and were gave good them a and chance. then they didn't. Yeah. People who we gave a chance that ended up, you know, screwing us in one way or another or yeah. just not. And then the up. one that you thought and put everything, all your trust into, just you happen to catch them doing things that they weren't supposed to. Right. And it, I was in tears. I was in tears. Yeah. For a couple of days, because I, it was just like how because it felt she, like family kind yeah. of uh, cheating yeah. you or something. And again, so, I, I learned a lesson not to treat employees like family, which I think we I think that's, uh, you know, I think that's a careful one. I, I do. I do like to be able to treat employees like family. Like I don't want to be scarred by that for life. It could just yeah. be we had a bad person, you know. Yeah. 
But we did, I mean, keeping somebody like keeping a professional business relationship, I think was a good lesson from that. Yeah. I also think an important lesson from that was one of the things we really ignored in our business plan was how easy or difficult it was going to be to get the type of quality employees that you would demand for your business. We would have had to basically, yeah, we would have had to train them from scratch, which we couldn't afford to do. Right. We did. We did with, with two, right? Right. We did with three, but the, it, it was just like pulling teeth. Yeah. Uh, so we had to let her go. But two of them, we 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 put our, I feel like our heart and soul into them. Yeah. Um, and 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 that was that was a hard that was hard. I mean the I yeah the whole employee that's a whole nother. yeah dealing with employees it, itself yeah. is just a it was a difficult thing. What I was getting at there is that we underestimated that in our business plan. The employees were an essential part. If we really yeah. wanted, we we built an eight seat salon that when Alexa was there, our daughter and, and Miranda was there as well. You know, we had things, we had many chairs operating, mm-hmm. but the business plan called for like at least six of those chairs. Would be, even if half of those chairs would be operating, if we had four or three extra employees in addition to you, we would have been raking in the money. But instead now, especially after COVID, it's just you. We have an eight chair salon with only you there. As of last, as of uh, March, 2023, it's been just me. So almost a full year, just me. Almost a full year, just you, right? That's because we had an employee problem one, uh, but, but we did, we went down from like, like maybe five employees down to four, down to three, and then COVID happened. We ended up with only two and now it's just you. So uh, COVID was an interesting one. Again, I don't want to make this all about COVID, but let, just to, to share some business lessons there. Our county actually was amazing in how many resources, Anne Arundel County in Maryland, was amazing with uh, how many resources they provided businesses to get help get through this, like hand sanitizer grants and mm-hmm. things like this, um, working with the businesses to try to open in a safe way. Yeah. I thought they did a really good job of that. It was a little frustrating yeah, um, because of, of the square footage and how many people were supposed to be in there when we came At back. At first, right. At first, um, actually, it was like the first year and a half back. It was hard because my clientele is what pays the bills. And having the other girls that were with us, which at the time was three, um, and figuring out schedule and how many clients we were had to have in there, including ourselves, it was hard. It was very hard emotionally. Um, the girls didn't understand. Um, Nobody did, though, in yeah. fairness. That was yeah. a whole new world for everyone. But there was a couple interesting, like as a business lesson, I know it's good practice to have a contingency plan and some kind of a uh, rainy day money, yeah. but we never had that. We were r- r- operating on the wire. I mean, literally we opened up in 2018, Yeah, the end, July, 2018. We had a, I feel like a great first year yeah. all through Boys 18, to, 19 yeah. and literally COVID happened. So yeah. we were a year and a half in. It really stung our growth. It yeah. stung. I mean, we've kept afloat. Don't get, you know, we kept afloat because our clients are very dedicated, but yeah, it was, I mean, I I feel like if COVID never happened. Well, that's happened, what I mean. Like, I, I don't want to get into, because COVID happened to everybody, right? Yeah. But what business lessons can we take off of that? One was we didn't have a contingency plan. Yeah. We were lucky because our landlord offered a lease extension to help people get through this. I've heard most landlords said, no, no, you signed a lease. You have to pay the money or else you're in default. Like some landlords were really mean about it. I right? didn't know that. And difficult. Like our our landlord actually gave us two different extensions because they knew like the businesses aren't pulling any money. So yeah. at least they gave us extension to like basically we didn't have to pay, but then we extended the lease or 
I think one of the times we had to like pay half or something like that towards the end. Um, they were doing the best they could to because they had to pay their bills too, right? Right. Um, and and not, nobody had these contingen- contingencies. I think now actually a lot. I've heard that a lot of leases have a natural disasters and and maybe even a COVID clause in them to say like, even during something like a pandemic, you still have to pay your rent. Oh wow! Yeah. So like that sucks. Yeah. So they, you know how these landlords are. They always make sure that every single base is covered. And now that the world has experienced this together, they've got one more loophole sealed up. You know, yeah. Um, but is a business lesson though. I, I I try to look at it, especially in the context of this, this podcast, is what was the business lesson to take from that? And we didn't have enough of a contingency for a for an event like a safety that. net. Yeah. So let's see. Let's. Uh, so that's that's kind of the story of us getting from bankruptcy to salon owner with a lot of life lessons and, and personal details in the, along the way. I guess what I want to say in recap is is just like let's take some lessons learned from this story we've been telling, right? We kept moving no matter what life threw at us. We always yeah. were looking ahead, what's the next thing or at least how can we make the best of this situation or find a way to make some money in this situation, right? Mm-hmm. Mother Hen's daycare I think is a perfect example of that. and to a large degree so is the salon. Yeah. It was like you're about to lose that and lose all your customers and not have a better alternative it was and we, a panic moment. we saw an opportunity. Yeah. yeah. Um and then, and I think it's important to look like we learned something. So don't be afraid to jump in. And if things don't work out or if things don't work out the way you thought they would, or, you know, a lot of businesses have a cycle, a, a, like you start them, they have a productive life cycle, and then you end them. You either sell them or you close them. They had a purpose though. And yeah. you learned something along the way. Like each one of these businesses have made us money along the way. Maybe they not have. as much as we had imagined, but they made us money along the way. More importantly though, we learned something along the way, right? You learn something with every one of those businesses. With every one of them. Uh, the I think the one that sticks with me the most is I have to be my own boss. I, I cannot work for anybody else. I have to be my own boss. The other one That's, is... I literally call her the boss. Yeah. I have to be my own boss. Uh, I work very well with other people. Right. It's just I want control of my own of destiny. your reputation and your yeah. quality. Yeah. And, yeah. The products, everything down to, I mean, down to toilet paper, <laughs> down to toilet paper. I need control over. Right. Um, but yeah, I, every, every lesson, you know, and I think from bankruptcy to literally panicking into opening up Mother Hen's daycare, that was the first one like, okay, this is, I can never work for somebody else, you yeah. know? And that was like, that was a hard hustle uh, because that one was needed. And then I, th- I think everything after that, every business after that, it's because we want to be our own businesses because we've learned so much from what, where we had to go into business. Yeah. Or saw an opportunity that was just, yeah, yeah, that fit us perfectly. Yeah. And so I guess that you covered this last point I wanted to make sure of is the best side hustles come from necessity. I think that's true. You know, my, my layoff forced us into that one yeah. situation. The salon closing forced you into another situation. Yeah. And, uh, and I think just sometimes people are just too afraid to jump in. I know some of the things we did took some money as well, but, but not all side hustles and not all business endeavors require an investment like we had to make in some of these cases. It's just, don't be afraid to get in. You got to start somewhere. If you're you're starting, whatever your number is, if you're starting with a hundred dollars and learning how to make a thousand or starting with a thousand and learning how to make 10, uh, whatever, it's just, you're just ranking up every time you're learning something. You're learning something. Yeah. You know, there's always a lesson in everything that you do in life. Yep. So, uh, so I guess one of the reasons I wanted to bring that up is uh, kind of a teaser for our next episode. What, what are, so next episode, we're going to be talking about 
what some of the side hustles are that we've been considering for this next phase in life, we're going to actually evaluate some of them. And then in future episodes, we're going to pick one and tell you why. I think we're actually going to put this like on a, on a Patreon somehow so that supporters who want to see that, like the details of our journey, like, like all the references I came up with, the resources I pulled up, uh, maybe even I'll keep a spreadsheet showing profits and losses. So that folks who want to see what we did and how it's working out can follow all the nitty gritty details that we won't cover the the nitty gritty details in the podcast, but put it up on a, on a Patreon somewhere yeah. that folks can access so that you can actually like, like kind of be a, a passenger uh, on this journey with us and see yeah. how one of these hustles is working and what we're able to do with it. And we'll be honest with you, if something works and it, and, it, and we fail at it, we'll tell you that and we'll show yeah. you the numbers and show you how that worked. Yeah. Uh, if something succeeds, uh, then we'll show you as number many numbers as we can before things get so crazy that we can't show you numbers anymore. Yeah, our goal is to <laughs> succeed, right? At all times, our our mission here and yeah. not just in the podcast in life is to be able to achieve financial freedom with one of these uh, eventually uh, one of these other side hustles. So I'd, mm-hmm. I'd be happy with. I don't need to be a millionaire. I just need to be able to pay off the house, pay off all the bills, and do kind of a financial reset. Yeah, and we have a couple ideas for some we side do. hustle that'll get us. Some there. of them are exciting. Some of them are like, oh, I don't know. It's it's kind of a risk taking, but yeah. So we'll talk about that in future episodes. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for this episode. I'll catch you in the next one. Thank you very much for staying Thank with us. Thank you. Don't forget to like and share and subscribe.